Thank you, Katie. We are um, right out of the chute. We're talking about what the Bible says about race. Don't everyone run for the exits. And uh, uh, we are super excited. Thank you again, Katie. Um, Katie mentioned that um, we are starting a new series uh, called You Asked For It. And these are responses that you, uh, that you gave. And uh, one of the things that surfaced is, um, is what the Bible says uh, about race. And, um, and so, uh, and we wanted to deal with it because we want to deal with it in a biblical way. Um, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. Let me say that again. This is not a political issue. This is for us, the follower of Jesus, a biblical issue. And we want to see what the Bible has to say about that. And so for those of you who are in the room and those who are uh, watching online, I know that um, this is uh, one of those topics that's it's a cauldron of tension that, uh, that arises when we begin talking about this. So let me say a few things kind of to let the proverbial tension out of the room as we get started. So Marvin, you got a hidden agenda, right? This is a hidden agenda, and I would say, no, it's not a hidden agenda. It is, um, we're doing this because you asked for it. So, um, and this was one of the things, one of the topics that surfaced. And so you asked for it. Actually, you have set the agenda for the entire summer. So we're going to be talking about, we're going to do two weeks of technology uh, starting next week and what the Bible says about that. This week and next week, we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking about work and we're going to be talking about uh, Satan and de- or angels and demons. And we're going to be talking about forgiveness and we're going to talk about how to find the will of God. And so these are things that you ask for. And so you have set the agenda. So, so Marvin, this is, this is wokeism. I knew whatever that is. I, I knew that Trinity was going woke, and that's what this is, right? Absolutely not. We have been awakened to full life with Jesus, and we want more and more people to be awakened to full life with Jesus as well. This is like prayer, like fasting, like Bible engagement, like silence and solitude. This is a discipleship issue. This is an issue that helps us draw closer to Jesus and not a political one. This is, I, so I, I know Marvin, this is code for guilt tripping people. No, this is not. Now, there will be some things that probably um, will be uncomfortable for all of us in the room, but This is not about guilt-tripping anyone. This really is about seeing what the Bible says about this particular issue. So when we go back out into the world, when we go into our spaces, we'll know how to respond as Christ followers. Now, um, I recognize this, that everyone in the room and those who are watching online, we are at a different place on the continuum. There's a long continuum, and everybody's at a different place. Those in the room and those who are watching online. 
There are some people in the room who are numb to this. You don't feel anything about it. You, um, like, like you, don't, you don't respond normally to this. You have no sensation at all on this particular issue. And so there are some in the room who are just numb to this. And then there are others in the room, there, there's fear and trepidation. That is the feeling of this emotion of dread and like, like, I, like I don't know and, and I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Every time we talk about this, I broach the subject whether in my family or with friends. There's always this fight and I'm just afraid to talk about this issue. And so I recognize and I just want to call out what, uh, what's in the room and what's online. There are individuals who just simply are afraid. We don't operate by fear. We operate off faith in Jesus Christ. We don't operate off fear. And I hear some people say, well, well this, this is, yeah, yeah, see, this is a slippery slope. You start talking about race, then you're going to start talking about CRT, and all of a sudden Trinity is going to be a liberal church. And, and I would say, like, like, I don't know how we connect the dots that way, but we don't, that, that as long as we are here, the elders are here, we're going to preach the Bible we're going to live the Bible. So no, it's not about that at all. And then there are other people who just say, you know something, I'm, I'm just ignorant to all of this. I, I'm, like, I just lack information about this, which is kind of interesting, um, is that we're, in, information is at our fingertips. But I, I, I think what individuals like that are saying, I just, I've just simply not chosen to educate myself on the issue for a variety of reasons. And then others in the room, you just, we're unaware, unaware of our biases, unaware of the things that actually the way we show up in rooms, we are simply unaware. And I recognize in the room also there are individuals who say, you know something, I'm powerless. I don't have, I, I, I lack the authority, I lack the power, I lack whatever it needs to change anything, and so because I can't change, this is, Marvin, this is such a demanding and big deal, there's no way I'll be able to change anything, so I won't do anything at all. I recognize that they're, I'm just calling out what's in the room, they're individuals who feel powerless. I think there are individuals in the room who like they feel a sense of shame. That in your family background or whether in your own background, my background, you've said something and you've done something that is like, in, in, like embarrassing. How could I have said that? How could I have not said something in that moment? There are individuals in this room and online, you, you carry a backpack of shame. For others, it's just that this is stressful. Like Marvin, listen, I, like, I, like talk about prayer, that's less stressful. Talk about, talk about how God deals with worry and, and deal with my stress. But talking about this issue, man, it is stressful. It is emotionally stressful. It is mentally stressful. And, um, and man, you know something? I just don't want to deal with it because of the demand that this, this causes me. And I recognize this. There are people in the room right now that, that you deal with disturbing experiences that have colored, no pun intended, your thinking about certain people. You're dealing with trauma, past trauma, whether it's a, 
um, a, a white person who, um, who had some sort of verbal or physical altercation with you and or called you names and, and now you feel the trauma of that, whether you're, if you're a white person and a black or brown person said something or did something to you and you live with the trauma of that and that colors the way you view the world and the way you view people. I want to just call out, I acknowledge that. Now, there are some who right now, this, 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 in fact, maybe even trigger something. And I want you to sit here. I want you to sit here because the Spirit of God is present among us. The Spirit of God is present among us. And then there are others who just say, you know something? I am so apathetic to this, this situation. I lack interest and concern about this, and I don't care enough about this to actually care about this. In fact, I am tired of hearing about this. I recognize that, and I call that out as well. What's worse than, what's worse than apathy is indifference. Indifference is, it's not that I don't care or have concern about this issue. I, I don't even have sympathy or empathy about the issue at all. So I have a deep disdain for it and, like, you know, something I can care less about it. And yet there are others where the Spirit of God has done the spade work in your life. The, the Spirit of God has done the spade work in your family. The Spirit of God has actually, the gospel has begun to change your thinking. And so there's a level of empathy that has shown up in your heart and in your life. And for others in this room that you have actually, uh, you have actually gained the courage and you, the last family reunion you were at or the last meeting you were at, the last function you were at. And Someone started saying something derogatory about someone who was different, maybe your friends or somebody who is different than you are, and you finally stood up because the Spirit of God stood up in you and said, do not talk about my brother that way. Do not talk about my sister that way. Do not talk about other people that way. It is just wrong. And some of you, the Spirit of God has given you courage to make decisions in your life. The Spirit of God has has given you courage and to be flexible and to create uh, courageous and brave spaces. And, and, and God has used you to bridge some of the gaps on this particular issue. We celebrate that. So the room is filled with all of that. The room is filled with that. And I have the unenviable task to talk about that today. If, you, if, you, if anybody wants to come up here and take my place, I will so gladly surrender this spot to you right now. So, so, so we, this is, this is a discipleship issue. It is not a political one. It is a follow Jesus issue. It is a spirit living inside, keeping in step with the spirit issue. So before you think, oh, you know, this is whole no, this is this pulpit is we we've done this. It's not political. It's biblical. So I'm going to approach this issue in kind of a, like a, a simple outline. And the simple outline is really I'm following the words. I'm using the words of uh, scholar, preacher, theologian Walter Brueggemann. Uh, Old Testament scholar, and Walter Brueggemann talks about the psalmist. Um, the Psalms in three moves. He talks about how the psalmist, um, he talks about orientation, 
he talks about disorientation and he talks about reorientation. So orientation is when the psalmist, everything is going well, life is going great, the psalmist is happy. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden something happens where the psalmist is smack dab in the middle of disorientation, where the psalmist gets discouraged and says, Where's God, where God, where are you? And I'm tired of my enemies and kill my enemies. And so the psalmist is disoriented. And then God shows up in the psalmist's life and the psalmist cries out all over again, in you, O oh God, I will place my trust. And so God reorients the psalmist. So I'm kind of using that language to talk about this particular issue when we talk about race. So let's jump in and talk about orientation. Now I'll tell you, this is, I'm, as the preacher, like I was ready to take a nap after the first service. I'm telling you, it's just, uh, this, this is work that we are about to do. This is work. All right? So, so orientation, here it is. I'm in your notes now. God orients us. That's really what it is. God orients us. When we talk about the issue of race, when we talk about human race, that's what we're talking about. Uh, race is a socially constructed term. Uh, we never see the word race in the Bible. We see ethnicity, which we'll get to. But when we talk about race, the human race, God is the one who sets the agenda. God is the one who orients us. He gives us our bearings. He gives us our placement. He gives us our coordination. He shows us true north about the issue of race. Not politicians, not activists. God is the one who shows us true north. God is the one who gives us direction on this particular issue. And we see him giving us the, he, we see him giving us the bearings and the placement and the coordinations and our true north at the very beginning of the human story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God created everything, and he said it was good. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the whole verse is going to be on the, the screen, but I want to just deal with part of it. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The crowning jewel of all of creation was humanity. And he said humanity, later in chapter 1, he says humanity is very good. So when God created you and me, we, are, we represent the pinnacle of God's creation. Adam and Eve lived in the cradle of God's provision. Every physical, emotional, spiritual, mental need, psychological need was met by God. The thing that God stamped on the entirety of his creation was this. Good, very good, and this is harmony. This is shalom. This is peace. There is no disruption. There is no disintegration. There is no dismemberment. In the beginning, God created it to be good. And so, so when we see this text where God says, uh, the writer of Genesis says, let us make man in our image and likeness, there are two words for the word us. There is a a simple or isolated unit. You have a group of people over here, a group of people over here, they are isolated from one another, a group of people over here, they are isolated. So when we talk about Adam, God creating Adam and Eve, the word Adam is Hebrew for humankind. 
That's not the word, uh, the word for us. That's not the one we're using, isolated unit. But what is used here is a complex unity. A complex unity. So, so this is, let us, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I want to say this. I want to remind us, as Ben talked about, what is, who is God? God is a triune. He is a unity. He is a complex unity. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal but diverse. Equal but diverse. Equal but diverse but also a unit. And so the God of heaven created humanity, and what God created actually, when he created Adam and Eve, it actually, he created Adam and Eve to mirror his complex unity. So that when he created humanity, he is saying that there are no superior cultures. He is saying there are no inferior cultures. He is saying there are no superior or inferior ethnicities. That is, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are equal. They enjoy diversity. They enjoy unity, and they enjoy equality. Guess what? Everybody in this room, you and I are on equal footing. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what side of the tracks you're from. You and I, created in the image of God, we are equal. Equal. That's what, when, when we talk about God orienting us, he is orienting us to his vision for humanity. Every image bearer, in this room and around the globe, we were designed to live in harmony. We were designed to live together. No separation, no, um, uh, sep- no separation, no distinctions based on color, physical features, hair, none of that. And so when you and I show up, we reflect the image of God. We reflect the, tri- the, the unity of the triune God. At least that's what we should do. Every time we get together and every time we sing songs in this place, it doesn't matter what color, it doesn't matter what side of the tracks, you and I were are designed to reflect God in the world. Interestingly, interestingly enough, Adam and Eve, first human beings, were racially unidentifiable. They were not identified as, they were not identified as black. They were not identified as white. They were not identified as Middle Eastern. They were not identified. They were racially unidentifiable. And we're going to get to where we get the whole race and uh, the ideology of race in just a bit. So when we talk about the divisions of people, that didn't come until Genesis chapter 10 when humanity was scattered all over the world. And that was because of pride. That was because of sin. And so there's all, God has always, his original design, his original orientation was for you and I to live harmoniously together in shalom. 
never distinguishing one another because of external features. And yet we do it all the time, right? We do it all the time. And there are relationships that are broken because we have decided that we're going to live according to external features and not God's design. Adam and Eve represent, they actually represent um, the origin of all people. I love, I love this illustration. So on, on Christmas, you have a Christmas tree in your home. For those of you who are overachievers, you might have more than one, all right? Uh, you have a Christmas tree in your home, and that's, that's great. You might go to a nursery, and you might find a, a row of Douglas firs, fir trees, still contrived, but still the same. So when Jack and I went to Romania to visit one of our ministry partners, we, uh, we, we passed this amazing forest coming out of Giorgio, this amazing forest filled with a, a, a canopy of variety of trees, some tall, some short, amazing, and it represents the, the beauty of God's genius and design. And I believe that God's orientation for you and I, we are his forest. We are God's forest in the world. There are different trees and there are different kinds of people. There are different shades. And you and I, we represent the genius of God. We represent the diversity of the, the diversity and the unity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And anything short of you and I living harmoniously together, it is anti-garden, it is anti-God, and it is anti-kingdom. Man, I wish like I, I, like one or two people should have said amen right there. Right there. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm begging for him today. I'm begging for him today, all right? So it's clear from Scripture, God's orientation is that any kind of supremacy, any kind of ethnocentrism, any kind of racial bias based on external features is sin. It is sin, and it is sin before a holy God, and it is sin before your brothers and sisters who are image bearers. It does not represent the kingdom of God in the world. It's apart from God's orientation. It's apart from what God had in mind. His vision was always for there to be equal footing equal plane. So, so where, did this, this, where did this idea then, um, this unbiblical social construction come from? Race. Where, where, did, that, where did that come from? And I, I, we can talk about the history of it, but I want to go back to the very beginning because the very beginning actually, actually deals with the history that comes out of this. And so this is the disorientation. Disorientation, so if God oriented us, then what disorients us? Well, sin disorients us. I'm in your notes. Sin disorients us. Sin calls us to lose our bearings. Sin calls us to, um, 
to lose true north. The magnetic pull of sin actually uh, drew us away from God's design, reversing polarity, and now we're dealing with a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with today. And so, we talk about sin. We, we go back to the very beginning. We've done this before. Um, I, I, I say all the time, if you want to find out any, you want to you have a frame of reference and a framework to talk about all the stuff in our world, you can go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you can frame it in the, the, the God's good creation, Adam and Eve's fall, and how that unleashed a lot in our world. All right, so let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, God did, uh, did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the Uh, in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. That's talking about the the tree of, of knowledge. Neither shall you touch it. God never said you couldn't touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So God's peaceful, harmonious unity that he created in the garden didn't last long. And now it's soiled and spoiled by one rebellious act. But God is a gentleman. He's not a tyrant. He gave them a choice to either choose me or choose to disobey. They chose the latter instead of the former, and with that, unleashed all kinds of sin into the world, including subject that we're talking about now, relational disharmony, relational strife, through racism, supremacy, bias, all of those things, stereotypes, this relational disharmony came out of the fall. And we began to now distinguish one another based on external features. We began later, again, as we move forward, we began to actually look at one another and become suspicious of one another and hate one another and, and say, ah, like your skin color, where you look, the way you, where you're from, we don't, I don't like that. And so there was this infusion of strife, infusion of racial disharmony, infusion of disintegration and relational dismemberment, infusion of all of this. And so now when we look at each other, we look at each other with hatred and hostility and violence and all of those things, as opposed to you are my brother and sister, you and I are connected because God created us in his image and that we are all a part of the human 
race. And so we look at this and we look at our brokenness, our, our brokenness as image bearers, and it all shows up. And sometimes it shows up in individual bias. And that is, that is done from one person to another. And this has to do with you creating a mental map in your mind, whether it's from trauma or whether it's from an experience, you creating a mental map in your mind about me or me creating a mental, ma a mental map in my mind about you. And so that's an it's an individual kind of thing. Think of name calling where someone individually calling one another names, whether it's using the N-word or using uh, words uh, that are derogatory toward Latin people or words that are derogatory toward white people. And so there's this sense where it is an individual kind of bias. And it's individualized where we, we create environments for people um, who, um, and we slight them, intentionally or unintentionally. And one of the things that where this is amplified, the individual bias is amplified, this is where it's amplified. It's amplified in homogeneous communities. It's amplified when you and I decide that we are going to stay with my kind. You're going to stay with your kind. I'm going to stay with my kind. And, and, and this homogeneous, I am going to listen to only things, I'm going to listen to things that only reinforce my own stereotypes. And what ends up happening is we stigmatize other individuals as a result. So we're only going to listen to certain kinds of news programs. I'm only going to listen to certain kind of podcasts. I'm going to read certain kind of news. And I, I, under, I understand, I understand that. And yet it reinforces some of the things that I believe that are unbiblical. So case in point. Some of you know uh, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was an amazing preacher, amazing theologian, one of the best theologians of the 17th, 18th century. Everybody, they, people still quote him today, lo like, love Jesus, extraordinary pastor, extraordinary pastor. And yet he got slavery wrong. He actually signed a paper, and he, he wrote a paper actually communicating the viability of slavery. Jonathan Edwards. I wonder if he could have used a friend like Lemuel Haynes. Lemuel Haynes was also, lived a, probably a little bit after Jonathan Edwards. A few years, he was a few years his, uh, his junior. Lemuel Haynes, another brilliant pastor, another brilliant communicator of God's word, brilliant theologian, first black man to pastor an all-white congregation. I thought I was one of the first ones, so. <laughs> I wonder if Jonathan Edwards could have used a friend like Lemuel Haynes. I bet had he had a friend like that, he would have recognized, ah, I think I got this wrong. Lemuel Haynes was one of the pastors of one of the largest churches in the South. So, so there's this 
this manifestation of individual bias that, that homogeneous, it's, it's exacerbated, it's amplified when we live in homogeneous, um, in homogene homogeneous uh, communities. There are structural biases um, where um, the, all leaders, all the leaders and leadership is of the, from the dominant culture. There is no diversity. And again, this, this has nothing to do, this is not a political statement at all. Again, when you and I are in a fallen state, whoever is in charge, whoever is at the leadership position, they are bringing their biases, they're bringing their stereotypes, and it's filtering into the organization. So, so, so there's this sense where there are these structural, systemic issues that have to be dealt with, and that's one of the manifestations of the fall, blind spots, stereotypes. I think another is what, what I call the normal culture bias. And the normal culture bias is, is um, the normal culture bias is what is the dominant or majority culture? So the, 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 the readings, the books, the, all of these other things, it's part of the majority culture. And again, hear me when I say this, I am not saying that the dominant or majority culture is bad. Please do not leave saying, Marvin just said the majority culture, which I'm a part, is bad. I did not say that. Everybody repeat after me, Marvin did not say that. <laughs> what I am trying to say is when the majority culture is centered, here's some of the consequences. Subconsciously or unintentionally, the majority culture is, the dom it's, is viewed as the supreme one. And that means every other culture is abnormal and does not matter. And there are some consequences for those who are for black and brown people as well, and that is when the majority culture, when the majority or the normal culture is front and center all the time, when people of color enter that environment, it feels like they have to mute themselves. To mute themselves and to assimilate and lose their identity in that culture. Now, I tell you, I tell you, my first couple of years here, that's the way I felt. I felt like I had to mute who I was. I felt like I had to assimilate and lose my identity as a black man. And I can't tell you the pain of that. Where God had to do my, God had to do work in my own heart, building relationships and connecting with individuals and letting the spirit of God work in me so that I might be who God has created me to be. And so there's this sense where other people in the room, you feel the same way. If you were part of a minority community. I, so when we went to Africa, um, in some rooms, Jack was the only white person around. And I said, welcome to my world. <laughs> 
is beautiful. We got a chance to talk about it. And we got a chance to talk about how he felt and how I felt. And there was a, a level of connection. And so, so this is the disorientation where we are right now, not only as a culture, but I believe even as the American church. I believe the American church is disoriented right now around this issue. Don't know how to talk about it. Because this is a discipleship issue. This is not a, I keep saying this is not a political issue. This is a discipleship issue. This is about what it means to follow Jesus in different environments. And so there are a number of individuals who are disoriented, churches, organizations that are disoriented around this. And there are individuals I hear in the room like, like Lord, how long will we have to deal with this? Should we be mired in hopelessness around this issue? Should we, should we kind of trudge through pessimism as we deal with this issue? And we're left to wonder, will this ever change? And I have a resounding yes. And here's the reorientation. God orients us, shows us what his design is, Sin disorients us, disorients us, we lose our bearings, we lose our placement, we are, we are, there's a reverse polarity and we're going in the opposite direction of the way God designed and yet reorientation is possible and here is the answer, the gospel reorients us, the gospel reorients us. As followers of Jesus, we have the answer. And the answer to the ills of the ideology of racism is the life, the perfect life, the efficacious death, and the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the answer. God was and decides that I'm going to reclaim the vision that I had from the very beginning. And from the very beginning, he starts to reclaim the vision, even as early as chapter 3 in verse 15 of Genesis, where it says, I will put enmity, that is hostility, between you and the woman. This is a prophecy of when the Messiah would come. And that Messiah we know to be Jesus, and Jesus would, the, um, uh, the, the, the serpent or Satan would bruise the, uh, um, um, bruise the head, that is the death of Jesus, but you shall bruise his heel. This is the death of Jesus when Jesus Christ would open the door for all people to be returned and reclaimed by God. So God says, I want to reclaim what is mine. So when Jesus dies and is raised again from the dead, he crushes Satan. And one day, sometime in the future, he's going to crush his head for good. He's going to get rid of Satan for good, and we won't have to deal with it any longer. 
But it continues in Genesis chapter 12. I want to just kind of give you a little survey of how God is reclaiming what was in the beginning. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, go out from your land. God is talking to Abram. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And here it is. This is a throwback. This is a nod back to Genesis 1 and 26. And all the peoples, all ethnicities of the earth will be blessed through you. All kinds of people. People with light skin, people with dark skin. All people will be blessed through Abraham. And then... uh, Notice that this prophecy in 12 comes after chapter 10 when the people are scattered. So immediately God says the people are scattered, and that's not my plan. And so Abram, I'm going to use you to actually bless the entire world and to bring people back to the original design. And then in Matthew, we jump over to the New Testament, Matthew 28, 18 and 20, uh, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's our word, of all nations. This is a nod back to Genesis 1:26. This is a nod to Genesis 12. This is a nod throughout the Old Testament. Discipleship is about all people, not just certain people baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice this. God promised to this word, behold, I will be with you. God is saying, as you make disciples of all nations, I will personally be with you. Because it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be tough, You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to go back to a homogeneity. You're going to want to go back to your group only. But I'm giving you a command. I want you to bless all nations with the gospel. And I'll promise to be with you. And then we see in at the end of the text, Genesis or or Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10 and After this, this is what heaven is going to look like. After this, I looked and behold a great great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. All right, so what do we do with this? Let me see if I can illustrate where we've been and where we are.
So at the beginning, God says, I'm going to orient you. I'm going to show you what my design has been all along. And that is, when I look at you, and when I look at you, and when I look at you, according to God's design, I see you as equal, you see me as equal, you see me as worthy of dignity, honor, and respect, I see you the same way. We see one another clearly. We see one another for who we are. We are image bearers. We have dignity. We have honor. And we are uh, deserving of respect. You are. We are on the same plane. I see you as an image bearer of God that God loves. We see one another clearly. You see me clearly. But after the fall, our vision got distorted. Um, that suspicion, fear, um, what else, what are some other things, what's that, okay, doubt about one another, all right, okay. What's that? I'm sorry? Okay, ignorance. Ignorance, okay, all right. All right, I got two more panels, I gotta fill them in. I'm type A, so we gotta fill them in. So racism, disharmony, uh, micro, we, we can go with microaggressions. And let's go with prejudice. So after the fall, this is the way I see you now. This is the way you see me. All of this, all of this, this is, this, this is the way, this is the way we see each other now. And, and we don't see each other clearly. Our vision for one another, our vision about one another, even God's vision, it's distorted. We're disoriented. And, and, and these words cloud my judgment. They cloud my vision. They cloud who you really are, who God created you to be. And so we, we separate one another. We separate ourselves from one another. Because of this, we don't see each other clearly anymore. And so we hate one another, we are suspicious of one another, and we misunderstand one another because we have allowed our visions to be distorted of one another. But, but how, how, do we, how, do we, how do we deal with this? Well, the, the first thing is, is that we, the, the first is repentance. 
I, I want you to, the, the, the repentance is simply, it is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Look at what happened to Peter. Peter was ethnocentric. Peter actually had a racial bias toward Gentiles, and he met the Spirit of God, and he said, Gentiles are unclean, and the Spirit of God got a hold to Peter's heart, and when the Spirit of God got a hold of Peter's heart, this is the fruit of repentance. Peter then replied, I see very clearly now that God shows no partiality or favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. So repentance is, I am letting God show me my junk, whether you're white or whether you're black or brown. I'm letting God show me my junk, and I'm, I'm surrendering, to, surrendering, I'm confessing, and I'm surrendering, and I'm saying, God, change my mind. And so the way confession and repentance works is, is God takes the Windex of his spirit, and start cleaning these pains. It's a little streaky, but you know what I'm talking about. Only the gospel can do this. Only the gospel can get rid of hatred and bias and racism. Only the gospel can get rid of suspicion that you have of me and that I have of you. Only the gospel can begin to break down the walls of ignorance. Only the gospel can get rid of fear and microaggressions. Only the gospel can get rid of uh, whatever that was and uh, can read my writing where he says, let me clean this so you can see a little bit more clearly. Let me, let, me, let me clean this. And that happens through repentance. It happens through change of mind. A politics can't do this. Activism can't do this. Only the gospel, only the spirit of God can change our hearts. So repentance. And there are individuals in the room that, like, man, I'm... I really do need to take this to God. Whether you're black or brown or whether you're white or whether you're Asian or whether you're Latino, only the gospel, only God can begin to clean. Removal is the second move. Removal in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Um, if you can just put, up, um, just put up verses 13 and 14, if you don't mind. So chapter 2 is all about the gospel changing a person's life. In verse 13, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of, of Christ. For Christ himself has brought, you peace, has, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. I want you to hear this and I want you to see this. Part, the beginning of chapter 2 is all about the wrath of God and how we were separated from God. And then he says, but grace and mercy came into your life and the first act 
after the Ephesians received Jesus was peace, relational harmony. The very first thing after Paul says, Christ saved you, and now he brought you together, Jew and Gentile. So this is not a political issue. The moment you and I receive the gospel, the first thing that happens in our lives is relational harmony. That's what we go after. Whether it's with your brother or sister, or whether it's through, uh, across ethnic lines. So we need to remove any barriers that would cause us not to be together. I don't know what the barrier is for you, but the barrier for that separates us. Let me, let me say this, and, and I'm just letting you in just a little bit a part of my world. I have, I have black and brown friends who question me often, how in the world do you stay at that white church? Serious. How in the world do you stay at that white church? And I have to. I have to, I have to actually show up in that space. And I, ha- and I have to say, I am not going to let those words separate me from the people that God has called me to in this season. That God has called me to in this season. And so anything that separates us from being the people of God, we have to find ways to remove it by the Spirit of God. And then finally, relationship. And I'll just give you the passage, John 4, 7 through 9, Acts 9 through 43. It really is, John, the John 4, 7 through 9 is Jesus crossing boundaries. And, um, and again, uh, he went and talked to a Samaritan woman, and, um, which is unheard of in that day. And, and you and I have an opportunity to build relationships. The only way that this is going to happen, if you and I break down the walls, sit across from the table from one another, have authentic, honest conversations, me telling you my point of view, you telling me your point of view, and for you and I to figure out how we can walk together because of the gospel. Not because of any other reason other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God orients us, sin disorients us, the gospel reorients us. We let the Spirit of God clean our window panes, getting rid of all of those things that prevent us. We remove anything that keeps us from each other, and we continue to build relationships so that we might know, know God and know each other a little bit better so that people in this area and around the world will know that there's a church growing in diversity, loves Jesus, and love one another love one another. One of the clear signs why we should do this is, is uh, several signs. Is, is Number one is Jesus modeled it. Number two, um, it really 
shows our level of maturity because love and loving others is a sign of maturity. All right, that's all I got. I'm tired and uh, it's a tough topic, tough topic. Let's stand, let's stand. If you have a need, if you have a concern, our prayer team, our prayer team, elders, deacons will be down front to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you, uh, because we believe that um, God changes things. God changes things. Um, and I want to I say this. Um, I, I know I've been at a lot of churches in this area, and, um, and I can honestly say, per capita, um, Trinity Church is probably one of the most diverse churches in this area. That is, that is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. All right, let's pray. So, Father, thank you for creating your people um, to be um, diverse, united, connected, and equal. This is your vision for humanity. And we messed it up. And we're now living in disorientation. And so we know that the gospel is the only thing that can actually change that, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that we would renew the power of the gospel in our lives personally and in our midst as a church. Help us to repent where we need to repent. Help us to remove barriers that keep us from one another and help us to build deep and wide relationships so that um, the world might know this is what heaven is going to look like. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your people who come here every week. And I pray that you would bless them, you would keep them, you would cause your face to shine upon them, be gracious to them, turn your face toward them, and give them your peace. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Next week, next week, please um, come back, obviously, but uh, um, bring a friend, because we're going to be talking about, over the next two weeks, uh, next week and the following week, we're going to be talking about technology, what the Bible says about technology, and how we can get a handle on technology in our lives. See you next week. <laughs>